Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. Today I'm going to be talking about Mr Darcy in Pride and Prejudice and his importance to the novel as a whole. Now Darcy uh, is the hero of the novel but at first he doesn't come across like this at all. In fact from the beginning he seems a bit of an antagonist, someone who um, obstructs what the heroine wants Um, and so if we think about our first introduction to Darcy and also bear in mind the novel was originally going to be called First Impressions, um, our first impression is pretty negative. Um, Darcy comes to a dance um, with Bingley and whereas Bingley is easily pleased, happy to dance with lots of different um, girls, Darcy sort of stands proudly, he'll only dance four dances with people that he knows that he's already introduced to, he doesn't want to be introduced to anyone else and he gives Elizabeth that memorable snub um, that she's tolerable but not handsome enough to tempt me um, and that he has no interest in, in dancing with women who've been slighted by other men. Um, so Darcy doesn't come across very well here and he does seem to be very proud. It's circulated very quickly that he has 10,000 a year um, and he basically feels above his company. Um, so everybody is disgusted with his pride and Mrs Bennet of course is outraged that he would refuse to dance with Lizzie um, and overall our initial impression is is really negative. Now, then we later then hear when we meet the character of George Wickham, we hear this this story that he's got about Darcy. Um, Now, Elizabeth, when she hears Wickham's story, has already made up her mind that she really dislikes Darcy. So when Wickham says, you know, this this story about um, Darcy's father intending to leave him this job, this living uh, as the clergyman um, and Darcy refusing to give it to him Elizabeth finds this um, really shocking but it fits in with her prejudice against Darcy so she kind of um, it reinforces what she already thinks about Darcy that he's proud and disagreeable and now even worse he's got this real um arrogance that makes him feel he's untouchable that he can do whatever he likes and no one will question him so there's that sense in which she believes him to be an immoral person someone who does you know wrong actions and his character um and then of course um after the netherfield ball um darcy takes bingley away to london and he doesn't return and she strongly suspects that Darcy's objections to Bingley marrying Jane um, are the reason why their um, close relationship is just very suddenly and abruptly ended. So Darcy doesn't come across that well. Um, It does become clear though that he's not someone like Bingley who is an extrovert. He doesn't do well in social situations. He doesn't find it easy to make conversation with people. And as Elizabeth spends time in Bingley's house um, while Jane is ill, she does see more of Darcy's character beginning to unfold. Um, And then when she goes to stay with um, 
Collins and Charlotte. She sees Darcy again more. Um, and I think her opinion of him perhaps begins to soften slightly. But then he proposes and it is an absolute disaster. Now, I think what's interesting is that Collins has proposed back in chapter 19. Um, and Collins is obviously a caricature. He's a completely ridiculous man. Um, he's obsessed with social rank. He talks about Lady Catherine all the time. Um, and when he proposes to Elizabeth, he has absolutely no concept that she'll refuse him to the point where um, you know, in, in obviously in a quite funny way, he refuses to accept her refusal. So he keeps saying, you know, oh, I know you don't really, really mean it. I know all you young ladies are, are you know, playing hard to get. Um, and, and poor Elizabeth just, you know, has to just walk off in the end because it's it's no use talking to him. Um, now, whilst Darcy is not on Collins's level by any stretch, similarly, when Darcy proposes in chapter 34, he has no doubt that Elizabeth will say yes. And that's partly to do with the society of the day. And in this sense, Darcy is very much reflecting social values. Um, he himself is really proud of his social position. Um, he's kind of described as being on the verge of the aristocracy. He's not got a title, so he's Mr Darcy rather than, for example, Lord Darcy. But his aunt is Lady Catherine de Bourgh. So... Um, you know, he's got he's got aristocratic relatives um, and he's earning 10,000 a year, which puts him at, you know, double the value of Bingley. So he's clearly got a similar pride to Collins, if less ridiculous. And just as Collins gives all these reasons why, um, you know, he wants to marry Elizabeth, none of them include Elizabeth's feelings. Darcy essentially does the same thing. Um he says, you know, in one of his most famous lines as he proposes, um, in vain I have struggled, it will not do, my feelings will not be repressed, you must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. Now, whilst this ostensibly is a declaration of love, um, it's all about him, it's about his struggle, his feelings, um, and he says, you must allow me to tell you. Um, so all in all, it sounds a little bit like a command um, and this is essentially the problem Darcy's had a lifetime of being able to order everyone around and get whatever he wants um, and this has created um, a great source of pride in him um, to the point where he even sees a, a sort of pride as a virtue as a kind of rightful pride in who you are so Darcy's proposal um, doesn't go down well but it actually proves to be um, the catalyst for Darcy to change because in the proposal Elizabeth um, basically has to explain why she's refusing him because he can't believe it um, and Elizabeth says you know you could not have um, phrased your proposal in any way in any manner possible that would tempt me to accept it um, and, and this revelation is so shocking for Darcy but she then lists his faults, his pride, his arrogance, his selfish disdain for the feelings of others. Um, and then obviously she lists her objections to do with Wickham and to do with her sister and Bingley. Um, and she also gives this uh, throwaway comment, uh, had you behaved in a more gentleman-like manner. Now what's really significant with that word gentleman is that it really defines 
you know, a man of social status and a man of moral behaviour. And Darcy prides himself on his status. But Elizabeth says, you know, despite his money, despite his ranking, he hasn't behaved like a gentleman here. And this is really what sparks um, a total change of heart for Darcy and he rethinks his whole behaviour. Now, we don't really get to see much of the internal change of Darcy. Um, this novel is a Bildungsroman, and Elizabeth is the protagonist. So Elizabeth's the one we see really changing on the inside. But we do have Darcy's letter in chapter 35, and really this letter gives us a really good insight into Darcy's own character. You can see at the beginning of the letter, he's still very affronted that she's refused him because he talks about, you know, be not alarmed, madam, my renewing those feelings which last night was so disgusting to you. Um, so clearly, obviously, bitterness there. But as the letter progresses, he his tone becomes much more calm and actually he's allowed to express himself in a way which suits his character much better. You know, this written format of the letter enables Darcy to articulate things in a lot more detail. And of course, um, we discover, along with Elizabeth, you know, mirroring Elizabeth's realisation, that Darcy isn't actually a villain at all. And whereas, you know, um, as Elizabeth later comments to Jane, um, Wickham was the one who looked like the hero, actually, it's been Darcy all along. Um, Elizabeth uh, remarks to Jane when she's, she's commenting on this contrast between um Wickham and Darcy she says um there was certainly was some great mismanagement in the education of those two young men one has got all the goodness the other all the appearance of it and in that sense just like Collins could be a potential foil for Darcy and um you know a mirror of what his pride could lead him to Wickham is the antithesis of Darcy he's like the foil for Darcy in terms of um moral behavior um, and, you know, to Elizabeth's shock and, and uh, surprise, it turns out that Darcy actually was very generous to Wickham. He um, gave him a payment of £3,000 because he didn't want the living. Uh, then when the living came up, he asked for it again. Then he tried to run off with Darcy's sister. So all in all, you know, Wickham's the one who is guilty. Um, and Elizabeth realises that she has misjudged his moral character and there is no evidence of Wickham's good moral character and there's no evidence of Darcy's bad moral character either. So she realises that she has um, been prejudiced against Darcy and that she's misjudged him. Now for Darcy's part we definitely see him improve a lot in the second half of the novel particularly when Elizabeth visits Pemberley and his behaviour to the gardeners her aunt and uncle shows that he's dramatically shifted in terms of his pride for lower connections. By the time we get to the end of the novel and all the obstacles between Darcy and Elizabeth are removed um, we see in them a potential for a really joyful uh, union. But really, Darcy shows his heroism in his actions in rescuing Lydia Bennett when she runs away with Wickham. And the fact that at great cost, um, Darcy goes to London, finds them, makes them get married, pays Wickham off. Um, he does all of this and doesn't even want the credit for it. He doesn't reveal what he's done to Mr. Bennett, 
to even to Elizabeth is only through a letter from her aunt that she discovers this. Um, he does it for her. Um, and I think that true heroism is shown in Darcy's desire to do something good and generous, e extremely generous, without getting any credit. And I think that's where Austin shows him as the true gentleman, the true hero. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests, so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.